I'm going to dive in because I have a little bit, uh, probably, probably not as much as I've had, but a, a little bit. So I'm going to dive in. I want to talk about Pentecost at all cost. Pentecost at all cost. Uh, we want a Pentecost, right? We want, we want God to pour out his spirit freshly and abundantly and on all flesh. Uh, but what we, what we don't realize and what I've taken you into in the word of God is that to receive a Pentecost from heaven is to have an, a, a, a cost extracted from you that you don't expect. And we are surprised when it's a social cost and a relational cost and a racial cost and a public cost. And we're surprised when we run into these things. But we do. Let's look at the word of God and we'll see what happens. I am going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, but also Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, as the King James says, fully had fully come, and they were all together. Again, the King James says they were in one accord, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of God be upon you and within you and watch out. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And I have a dual picture of this. Dwelling in Jerusalem indicates actual inhabitants. And it was the feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is the feast of first fruits. Pentecost is the 50 days um, after Passover. Pentecost is the celebration of harvest. Uh, the, the, the early harvest, Pentecost, is, the, is the, also the celebration in Israel of the giving of Torah, the 50 days after they uh, left Egypt and found themselves at Mount Sinai and receiving from God the law of God, the law that would not yet be written on their hearts but written on tablets of stone. Well, here we have this situation, devout men from every nation under heaven. Devout men means it, it, this, this is applying to covenant-keeping Jews. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Which is a slur, by the way. <laughs> Aren't those rednecks? Because you see, things change and things remain the same. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites 
and residents of Mesopotamia, Judeans and Cappadocians, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya belonging to the Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others, mocking, said, well, they're drunk. They're filled with new wine. What a, what a moment to have a text. And I'm speaking actually of my Ephesian text, which is on the heels of this, because this is the setting for the Ephesian text. God came and did something in history and time that would affect them and that would find its place working out in culture and it's still working out today. God had to do, as he often has to do, a miracle to get people's attention and then sometimes he doesn't do a miracle, sometimes he just messes up your life. Not even kidding a little bit. Sometimes he says, I'm going to disrupt this. And you will say when he does, it was good that the Lord bruised me. And you will say when he does, I am glad that the Lord turned over the order that was in my life that kept me so safe because I was so kept from him while I was living in my safety. And surely the Lord has come. And every mother prays for her children. Lord, don't let them go without a touch from you. And as she prays, she knows that she's praying for the God of all comfort to discomfort her children. People ask me all the time about this, what is God doing now? Well, obviously, uh, he's discomforting his children. Because I, I refuse to believe that the God of all the earth is not involved in the happenings that are upon us right now. I refuse to believe that the God of the Bible who prophesied over Israel of a day that would come when their walls would come tumbling down does not say to us that there, that there are times and seasons when the Lord visits us not with the fire from the altar to be the tongue of fire within us but with the disrupting shaking of the earth. And here it is. And here it is. And I was in my peace this week because I had made peace with COVID. I just did. That's all there is to it. I just made peace with it and then decided, Gail and I, to go and take a few days of respite on the mountain. And I laid down to rest and, and looked at my phone and heard those words, I can't breathe. And I remembered complaining about my mask. Welcome to the 1960s, young people. They're here. 
Welcome to the world of my teenage years. When assassinations took down presidents and politicians, when riots took down cities and social order, when wars and rumors of wars tormented us, and when preachers preached of conspiratorial illness filling the world and once and, and finally to overtake the world and terrified us with tales of being left behind. Welcome to the 1960s. They have come again. Therefore, let's read the scripture. All that was prelude. In case you didn't get it, here's what I said. God came and turned the world upside down. And they would later say that he had done so and that the people that he had done it in had come to their place. God turned the social order upside down. And he did it with an outpouring of Holy Spirit. We have had outpourings of the Holy Spirit that's, that disrupted uh, our our. our our nice little Christian meetings where we have everything as we expect it and where it works out is we've had the disruption of, 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 of Holy Spirit ladies speaking in tongues and somebody swooning. And we've had the disruption of the laughter. We've had the disruption of things that we thought couldn't be God, people making sounds like animals. We've had those disruptions and they discomforted us. And we, and we said, God, we want more. But what we meant was more of the same thing. We said he's going to do it different next time. Could this not be? Who does not want him to come in and turn the social order upside down? Who does not see a God who calls his bride, his holy bride, and speaks of her washing and speaks of her cleansing and does not say that he will have for himself a bride that is glorious and radiant and who believes that we have it with the things the way they are? And so you understand. I think, okay, he's doing something in this and then it gets worse. This isn't new for this nation. This isn't new. This isn't new. You see, our, our, our founding fathers made a covenant. Made a covenant that was on a higher shelf than they could reach at the time. And ever since that time, our nation has been groaning to reach what's on the high shelf. But that's not all. You and I, as the people of God, have a higher covenant on a higher shelf with the kingdom of God. And we have said that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And we have prayed for it and we have fasted and we have sought it. And so the foundations shake and tremble. All that happened at the day of Pentecost was this. God created a moment in which he was going to create a brand new thing. He brought a disruption upon the people of God, upon the covenant people of God, and he did it in such a way 
that he transcended every barrier that they had among themselves because all these things that they said, these were, all, these were all Jewish people. Well, a few proselytes are mentioned, aren't they? But a proselyte was one step away from Judaism. They were right there at the door. And he comes and he moves among them and the very first thing that happens is a racial slur. Just over what part of the country you're from. Not proper Judean Jews, Galileans. How can they be speaking? <laughs> How can they be speaking our language with such pristine accents? This disruption was only the beginning. This disruption was only birth pangs. This disruption was going to have to work its way out. And by the time we come to Paul in Ephesus, this disruption has now, as I've been telling you over the weeks, begun to work itself out in their lives. And they were so troubled by it. And we run into Paul again, I therefore prisoner for the Lord. This is the second time he reminds us that he's a prisoner for the Lord. Again, I'll remind you, in his other epistles, he introduces it by calling himself a slave for Christ. Not this one. This one he waits until he says, I'm a prisoner, an actual prisoner. His metaphorical use of slave meant he was a bond servant, but now his prisoner language means he's actually in prison. And for what? Disrupting the social order. I told you this last week. Because even after all these years of studying the Bible, I, like you, had always read the Bible as if Paul is a prisoner because of his faith. Yes, but he's a prisoner because his faith, as it worked out in life, offended people, but not offended them in the place where they said, I don't believe that, so I'm going down to the other synagogue house, the other house church or whatever it was. He's, no, no, offended them to the place that says, you got to go. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Boy, has there ever been a time like this when I can say to you, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now with him, listen, you understand. You, you think, well, what was that? Well, did you read the first three chapters? Did you go through the preaching with me? He was, he was, that was the calling to which they were called. The calling that meant they were to abandon the fabric of things as they had been living them and to live them in the way of one new man. That is to say, the distinctions were to suddenly become obliterated the middle wall of partition was to be gone. He wanted it gone in the spirit. It would ultimately be gone in the physical reality as the temple would come falling down in a few years. So I'm wondering, but I'm not wondering because I know God has a kingdom that is manifested so that things on earth will be as things in heaven. I know that God has a kingdom manifesting and so that you and I will walk in kingdom ways. And so I'm wondering, how are we gonna be able to do that here and now, in the nasty, here and now, in the difficult, near and, here and now? And oh boy, do I have to come to this text and have this week happen like it did? I remember the 60s so vividly. 
I've talked about it a few times to you. But most of the time, it was very strange because we weren't living in the information age. We were actually living in a time where, um, by the way, we were living in a time when news reporting was actually news reporting. They didn't do news to sell commercials. They did news to report news. And so it wasn't biased by every, every brand and boogeyman. But we didn't get very much of it. Sometimes I had to wait 48 hours to get the baseball score from the West Coast. News was slow. Not only was news slow, news of what's going on around you was slow. So there would be a riot in my city, and I wouldn't know about it. Did I tell you last week about the riot in Jackson State? Did I tell you all about that? 1970. Literally, it was, um, Jackson State University was, was um, closer to the house that I lived in as a preschooler than La Reforma restaurant down the street. Jackson State was the, uh, the black university. And disturbances rose gunfire, shootings, two students killed, 12 injured. I hardly remember it. I had moved about five miles away and my, and my world was so cloistered from that world that I had to watch the news that came on once a day to find out anything about it. And so it didn't, it didn't really disrupt me. And all I had to do was hear somebody's narrative about troublemakers and I'd buy into it and believe it. Interestingly, it was 1970 on Jackson State University. They canceled graduation. So the class of 1970 never graduated. Did I not tell you all about this? That's what I need. I need to hear that. So this year is the 50th anniversary of that event. And guess what? The class of 70 was scheduled to be given their graduation 50 years later. And COVID-19 hit. And the last I heard, it had been canceled. Feel it, feel it. Yeah, just feel it. Any kind of suffering of, of my black neighbors in Mississippi was somehow hidden from me. And as usual, we would say, and it was their fault anyway. Those narratives played in my soul and in my head. And then Jesus came. And from that time to this, I've been trying to live in a different narrative. And, and so this week, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I can't unsee it. Can you? I can't unhear it. 
I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, because of the disturbance that he created between the races, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. One new man. I can see Dr. King walking arm in arm. And wish I'd been a little older and a little wiser and had more clarity about Jesus than I have now. Want you to want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with humility and gentleness because you can't embrace the other without it. With patience and bearing with one another in love. You can't do this without it. And then he said, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I, listen, I struggle over the, biz, the business of Christian unity. I've always struggled over it. And every once in a while, somebody will come along and they'll say, I'm making unity to be my, my reason for existing. And what they think they want to do is somehow get all the churches together to sing the same songs and say the same words. That's unity. Boulder Dash. The unity that we are called to is a unity that we can't create. The unity that we are called to is a unity that we can only receive. I can't get it out of my head. My poor wife, when I turned it on and she heard the first sound of it, she said, no. And she would not let it enter her head. But I'm a different soul. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to crawl in there and see if I can taste it, Ricky. We've got to taste it, Ricky. God help us. God help us. And now the thing's gotten worse because a few people's offense has now turned into city offenses. Now we have to spend our time drawing up battle plans and battle lines and deciding who we can blame and who can be the boogeyman. In the kingdom of God, people have to do different. We have to do better. We can do this. We can do this. Listen, there is no problem with standing and calling out a wrong. Paul did it all the time and he did it with way worse words than you'll ever use. See, I'm not calling you to be nicer. I'm calling you in your resolve to be more clearly who you've been made to be. Because you were made to be this by the great king of all the earth. We have a God who made us. How did he make us? Oh, he made us Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Pergia and Pamphylia and Egypt. 
and I could go on. And Cambodian and Laotian and Vietnamese and Chinese and Japanese and, and Brazilian and Peruvian and Argentine and Colombian. And he's made us to be Mexican and Canadian. And he made us to be English and Spanish and Portuguese and French and Slavic, all kinds of Slavic. Mozambican, Zimbabwean, Egyptian, Sudanese. He made us that way. And I lived in a world in which the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace could only exist in sameness. I inherited that world. I didn't do much to fix it. I've received it some. And I remember the day that it finally dawned on me that what God does is he takes this one new man image and then he writes it very large in his apocalyptic writings for us to see. What do you mean, pastor? Well, if you go with me into the book of Revelation, there's a passage where scripture and it speaks of the people of God. And I heard, it says, and I heard 12,000 from the tribe of, 12,000 from the tribe of, 12,000 from the tribe of, 12,000 from the tribe of. And we hear that and we go, like, that's like mega Israel, that's Israel writ large. He says, I heard that number. Listen, don't miss it. And then he said, I looked. Oh, the writer is so brilliant and God has done something so magnificent to him. He heard the number and he looked to see the 12,000 and 12,000 and 12,000 and 12,000. And he said, I saw a multitude that no man could number of every tribe and every kindred and every tongue. And he writes it in a way for us to understand that the one was the other. These two are one. I remember, whoo, I remember when I saw that and it got inside of me. That's what you want for your church, God? That's what you want? Oh, you bet that's what he wants. And so as I moved to New Mexico and my church began to look a little browner. I said, maybe, maybe we can see a picture of this here before we get there. Maybe. And every time I've met someone who says, oh, there's 20 nations in my church, I start secretly counting the people I know because I want to beat them. One new man out of every tribe and kindred and tongue and nation. Yes, intermarrying, giving themselves to one another in every possible way, saying yes to one another. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called 
which was an impossible thing. It was such an impossible thing. He was suffering for it. This is the calling to which you're called. He's, you need to understand, you want thrills and chills, and he wanted love and oneness. And it's not the thing that makes us all say the same doctrinal statement except for three words. Jesus is Kurio. Jesus is Lord. That's our unity. And in that unity, he says, I want you to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. What did he mean by that? Because Paul had been living in a time and in a world where this, where this wrestling match was very, very big. And I read it to you last week. He sailed past Corinth to make it to Jerusalem before Pentecost only to make it to Jerusalem and then participate in worship at the temple, only to have a disruption that causes him to get arrested. But years before that, many years before that, they settled the issue, only it wasn't settled. Because things are never settled when they're settled. I want you to maintain, why? Because it falls apart so easily. They had a big church meeting. The big church meeting was this, oh, tell them they've got to be circumcised to be saved. They said, well, let's look inside that and see what it is. And the leaders stood up and said, well, God didn't say that. He just poured his spirit out on them. The same way he did on us. And they went, oh, I think we can find that. Oh, look, over here in Amos, it says some strange things. That's what it's talking about. And they agreed. And Paul went on his mission and he came back and the agreement had fallen apart already. Because people who live inside their social structures, inside their safe ways, have a hard time embracing the other. Guess who's coming to dinner? <laughs> yes, it is an anachronism, thank you. But a few of them got it because there's some old people here. For the young, look it up. You got Google. You can get it instantly. You don't have to be in the dark for very long. I want you to keep the unity of the Spirit. Why? Because it was only the Spirit that gave them their tenuous unity that had to be maintained and the bond of peace. Oh God, give us peacemakers in the streets of Minneapolis and St. Paul and New York City and Los Angeles. And yes, in Albuquerque. And yes, I know, I know all that we can say, but you and I are here to wage peace. There's nothing wrong with calling out what's wrong. You don't make peace by saying nothing's wrong. You make peace by saying, stop it! And then get defriended. <laughs> I guess it's unfriended, right? <laughs> so here we are. Albuquerque, New Mexico. mad at the governor, 
or mad at the president or mad at our neighbor or mad at the stranger, here we are. Here we are. And I've told you many times, go ahead and have a fight if you intend to give an embrace. Oh, you can't do that yet. So don't miss it. The unity he wants them to maintain is the gift that was given to them. For there's one body and one spirit. Inside of one body is one blood and one spirit. And you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call that you would be new creation people. With one Lord, with one faith, with one baptism, because you have one God and Father of all, who's over all. And I like this, I'll say it in the Southern way, and in you all. This is the only place the unity can come. And so when I returned to Mississippi years ago, after meeting, I met on, uh, through a book, a young man who had played football in the same conference that I played in, though we never, our teams never met while we were there. And his father was named John Perkins, Voice of Calvary Ministries in Jackson, Mississippi. And he shared with me his story and I shared with him my story and our stories were so strange. But I wept because God allowed me to meet him. A man who grew up as a boy, same place I did, different story. Telling about his father, beaten and thrown in jail and left to tend his own wounds. A man who, by the way, got up and tended his wounds and went on to be a healer in the city of Jackson, Mississippi and later in the nation. And I remember the time I made my way back to Jackson and I want you to start getting ready for communion. And a friend of mine, a classmate of mine was the pastor of a Pentecostal church in South Jackson. I'm not a Pentecostal, even as a spirit-filled Christian in those days, I was a Baptist, so I was really not a Pentecostal. Because, you know, if you're a charismatic Pentecostal, you're like, that's okay. But if you're a Baptist, are they looking at me? But I went to his church, and it wasn't the worship though the worship was amazing. And it wasn't, it wasn't the gifts of the Spirit, though they were very troubling. <laughs> it was that I was in Jackson, Mississippi, in a completely biracial church. And I said, how did this happen? Holy Spirit did. Doctrine couldn't do it. Law couldn't do it. The will of man couldn't do it. 
but Holy Spirit did it. They so profoundly partook of one spirit, and I'll be more specific. It was the manifestation of the gifts of the spirit that they held in common that said to them, we're one. And so the human race is one blood. But what breaks the barriers is the outpoured Holy Spirit. You want a revival? Receive it. And tonight, be very glad that you can breathe. Because George Floyd, I will say his name. The man had a name. What was he? I don't know. God knows. But he was one blood with me. And rumor is he was one spirit. One blood means evermore. So I'm just going to tell you, I've just been astonished over the years. I've been astonished everywhere I go, everywhere I go. And I meet people who know Jesus. And this, this was true. Listen, this was true before I became a charismatic. This was just true everywhere I go. You meet somebody who knows Jesus and you know each other already. You know them. Different doctrines, different color, different language, but you know them because there's one body who partakes of one spirit, one hope in our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. Christ in you, the hope of glory. These things live in me. When you see me arguing on Facebook, they're still in me. This is why I won't attack the people I'm talking to. I will appeal to them over and over again. And they don't have to agree with me. But we have to hear each other. But above all, we're one in Jesus. I'm so glad that we were able to provide for you the covenant gifts. Would you take the bread, please? Give yourself a minute to unloose that. I can't tell you. I, I had a prejudice inside me for these pre-made cups. I was prejudiced against them. And then God said, I'm going to make them so relevant, you'll love them. <laughs> Almost everything I've hated in this world, God has changed my mind. And yes, that is the way to take care of your neighbor. Don't, don't miss this right here, guys. Don't miss this. This is, this is what we're here for. This is why we wear the mask. And so Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body. See, when you partake of his body, you become one body. This is my body. Church, the body of Christ is given for you. Thank you, Jesus.
In the same way, Jesus took the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus died for us according to the scriptures. This is the blood of Christ. It's shed for you. Receive. since the time I prayed with you that the Spirit of God is on you in a way that is um, a blessing. You have a word? You have a word that you can prophesy over the church? Come, man, come. I know you're on the spot, and I'll, and I'll fill a minute before you get here. Come on, come on, come on. Come up on the platform. For anybody that's watching, if you took communion with us, communion is receiving the Lord. Many people, the first time they receive him is not in the bread and the cup, but it's the first time they receive him is in the calling out. And it was the day of Pentecost that when the spirit was poured out, that the word was preached that whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord would be saved. His name is Jesus. And you can call upon him and he will come into your life. It's very, very uncomplex. It's simple. But for the person who wants to give their life to him, we call upon him. We say, Jesus, come into my life. I give you my life. And this is why that text I said read, God who is in you. Because the Son of God pours the Spirit of God into you. You become the vessel. You become the temple. And He gives you His life as you give Him your life. And it's called salvation. Give yourself to Jesus. Hallelujah. I can do that if, you, if y'all are tarrying. You got it? Hello? <laughs> Hold it up. Hold it up close. Oh, everybody, let's just stand up. Stand up, yes. Spirit of God, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm hearing the Lord say, like what he told Joshua, you haven't gone this way before. You haven't stepped in this area, this arena. And the Lord is saying, by his spirit, he's going to lead us into something that's brand new. We talk about it a lot, but something new on the horizon from the Lord himself. And because this is from the Lord, it's like a gift that he's giving out. 
because it's coming from the Lord, you have to hold, hold yourself. There's, there's a picture. When the children of Israel came to Egypt, they estimate there's probably about 6 million people. How many went up on the mountain? Come on. There were only 70. That's right. 70 priests and then Moses and then he had um, some somebody else with him. 70 out of 6 million. You have to understand this period of time that we're in with the Lord. You don't take this lightly. When he says, when he shows up and he starts to do stuff, you have to know by the spirit what to do. Come on. Do not rush into this season with your understanding. Lean not to your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. There is a path that we have to take as believers, which is not the path of yesterday. Something is brand new. Something has been released. Do you think it's a coincidence that this stuff happened right during Passover? You know we got set up big time. <laughs> this is the Lord. He is so remarkable how he works. So do not stress about this time. Your king is on the march. He is doing, so he's going someplace. He's and as long as you hear the sound of his voice, as long as the spirit in you is rising up, when he moves, it's very, the, the kingdom is very different. It's not like a path where a concrete boulder is. It's like a ship on the water. And when this ship moves, it makes waves. And if you don't pay attention when it moves, 20 <laughs> minutes later, the wave is gone, the ocean is back to normal, and you will miss out. Do not miss this opportunity. Right now, if you have a prayer language, I would say stir it up. It's the Holy Spirit that is going to be leading you. So if you have to practice, get it going. By, you know, there's a scripture that says that um, you have to have your senses trained and exercised. We have to train and exercise ourselves in the King. And when He marches on, we will be marching on with him. Why? Because the world needs what we've got. That gift that came over 2,000 years ago at Pentecost is just as alive and well today. And in us, that don't look at it like it says the rivers of living water coming out. Don't think of the creek that what's that, that the river that's right up the road at Al Almeida yeah why don't you be thinking about the Nile River think of rivers that fill the um what's that um Niagara Falls these are huge rivers that's what's on the inside of you and that is what you will spill out on this world who is needing and is lacking they are so dry but what we have in us so just raise your hands right now Spirit of God, I thank you that you have not left us abandoned. You've given us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And in this situation, in this hour, I say, let it rise up. I say, Father, I speak to the well spring on the inside of each of us. And I say, come up and out, arise, flood. And people, let me tell you one thing. It's going to look messy, but...
but that's the kingdom of God. It is going to grow and grow and grow. You can't control it, but you can go with the flow. So, Father, I just bless you and I thank you. I thank you for the spirit of God in this place. And I thank you that that river on the inside of us is coming up and out. It's not coming from a distance. You already put it on the inside of us. And that wellspring flows up and out, and the world will be changed for it. I bless you in Jesus' name. Oh.